Hi, friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is Robcast 59, if you can believe it. And uh, this episode is called Politics and Guns, Part 6. Um, this is the last part, the final episode of a series on politics and guns where I'm going to wrap it up, and this episode is called We Can Do This. Although I never really wrap it up, right? You know there'll be a Part 7 down the road somewhere. But this is Politics and Guns, Part 6. We Can Do This. And uh, I was only going to do five episodes, but... Man, I, this whole, like, you know when you when you get into something and the more you get into it, the more passionate you get and the more research you do and the more you just get fired up and you want everybody to see what you've seen, um, which is kind of how I feel about all my work. But uh, I want to show you at the end, I want to show you one stat. I'm going to show you a bunch of stats, but I want to show you one stat and that to me changes the game. And I, I think you'll agree. And then... Um, I want to tell you a story at the end as well. Um, actually, I want to tell you lots of stories. So we have so much ground to cover in this. Um, but a couple of other details about things I have going on. Um, and by the way, it's just been one of those weeks. Do you ever have one of those weeks? Uh, just found out that a, one of my closest friends um, has cancer, and he had to go in for surgery right away. And they uh, apparently he's going to be okay, but... Um, I'm going to record this episode and then go um, down to his house because those sorts of things, they just remind you uh, again, as if we needed reminders, that the whole thing is so fragile. Um, and then uh, yesterday we had our dog, our beloved Finley, our Australian cattle dog, came to the end of his life. And uh, so we had to take him into the vet and they put him down because he was um, at the end. And it was, those of you... Um, who have been through this experience, the family dog. I mean, that dog has been through everything with us. And then we had to say goodbye. And we literally, oh, we went out to the car. We just sat in the parking lot and cried. It was just, and then we went and got groceries. Like, you go on with your life, but you also don't because you're sort of uh, sort of in that shock, grieving. Um, so, and, and I... I'm assuming many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So sometimes when it rains, it pours, just everything everything coming at you. Um, so a couple things real quickly. Uh, I'm headed to Australia in the new year. I've never spoken in Australia, and now we're going down under. So um, I'll be on January 29th. It's a Friday night. I'll be at the Seymour the um, Seymour Center, the York Theater at the Seymour Center in Sydney. Tickets go on sale Tuesday at 9 a.m. And then on Melbourne, the 1st, February 1st, I'll be at the Athenium Theater. And I don't believe tickets are on sale yet for that. I'll give you all the details as soon as the tickets are live. But all of you folks in Australia, you've been so kind over the years. And um, I can't post or say much without somebody going, when are you coming to Australia? So now we're going to do it. How awesome is that? And then uh, my Christmas show at Largo, um, there are still some tickets left. I know some of you went to my site and the link took you to the Largo site, which told you that um, it was sold out, but the event's not sold out. That was a little, um, that was a mistake on my website. Um, the link wasn't right. So the link is all sorted and there are still some tickets and I would love if you're in Los Angeles, 
on December 21st, Monday, and I think you're going to love it. It's I, I have some stuff up my sleeve. Um, and then uh, I know you need to get Christmas gifts for people. So uh, I got something. I got, I'm going to hook you up. In 2009, uh, I wrote a book called Drops Like Stars. Uh, and I actually wrote the book by hand in pen. Like I just took a stack of paper and wrote it out longhand. And I knew that it needed to be a, a coffee table book. Like it needed to be have pictures. Um, and so Mark Boss from Boss Creative um, headed up to the design. And I had in my head this epic, big, heavy coffee table book that, that was the only way to get those ideas across. And the publisher, um, once I got them in a headlock, <laughs> agreed because a coffee table book is very expensive and um, hard to make. And we wanted like a special kind of mohawk paper and we wanted the photography to be a certain way. And the book is about suffering and creativity and the unexpected links, the latent creativity present in all suffering. And uh, honestly, when people ask me what my favorite book is I've written, Drops Like Stars, that first edition is the favorite thing I've ever made. Um, it, I just, that book is so meaningful to me. And so, I mean, I think, I think it costs like 35 or 40 bucks. Um, and the publisher made a first edition and then went on and made a paperback because that was just way more, way easier to do. And the price point was way lower. Um, but I, a little while ago, got a chance. I heard that there were still some first edition in a warehouse somewhere. Um, and so I bought all of them and, uh, I've been storing them and, uh, because this book is so meaningful to me and I wanted people to have it. So, um, what I did is I went through and I signed every single one. It took forever. And, uh, so if you got some friend, um, that you're like, what in the world do I get them for Christmas? Go to my site, Drops Like Stars, the coffee table, first edition signed are there, and uh, we'll get them to you. And uh, we put some ridiculously cheap price on them just because I want people to have it. Because that's why you write books, because you want people to have it. Um, and so Drops Like Stars at robbell.com. And while we're talking about writing books just because you want people to have them, a couple of weeks ago, I released my new novel for free. It's called Millones Cajones. And if you speak Spanish and you're like, wait, that's the title? I think that means read the book. Um, literally, there have been people who speak Spanish who have been like kind of trolling me about the title, not knowing <laughs> that the title is an inside joke in the book among the characters. It's literally a case of people judging a book by its cover. You have to read the book and then you'll laugh really hard because you'll find out what the title's about. Um, and so many of you have been saying such kind things about the book, and some of you have been designing covers. There's no cover on it, because I wanted you, if um, you're that sort, to design a cover so I could see what, what you came up with. And some of you have just made such great covers. I'm thinking maybe down the road, if we make a hardcover, we just make it with all the different covers, because they're so good. Um, and so you can download it, and here's the thing. Not all of you who listen to the Robcast have downloaded Millones Cajones. It's at robbell.com for free. I'm giving you a free book. And from what we can tell, not all of you have received this free gift. Um, come on, what in the world? And those of you who, once again, don't know what to get somebody for Christmas, get the book for free, take it to a printer, 
down one of those photocopy places and just have them print it out and then just wrap it up. You know what I mean? It's not hard here. Free gift for your friend, except for the cost of some paper. And I've also been doing interviews about the novel. And see, most of my books are, um, this is my first, you know, where I just made, like, fiction. Um, so I haven't done book interviews about fiction. Usually book interviews are like, what about this? And what about this idea? And what are the implications of this? And I'm telling you, doing an interview about a, a story that you made up is so fantastic because people in the interview will ask you questions about the characters as if the characters exist. And you'd be like, yeah, well, you know, I think they did this because of this. Anyway, there's some uh, wonderful folks in uh, Nottingham, England, who have the Nomad podcast. And I did an interview at the Nomad, N-O-M-A-D, Nomad podcast this week with them, and it was just so great. You can hear the interview there. Yeah, I think it's nomadpodcast.co.uk. And, uh, oh yeah, um, one more thing. I'm doing a Finding Your Groove event series, which are two-day um, event series at the Viper Room here in West Hollywood. And uh, the first one, the three of them are in January. One is for um, is about the, the creative process, about communicating, writing, speaking, making things, songwriting. Um, the second one is for spiritual leaders. The third one is for people in business, uh, law, healthcare, education. And um, these events, I'm telling you, they're they're seriously so they're fun, but there's we go to some am amazing places. Anyway, the first one is about to sell out. So if you're still thinking about coming, the one for um, on creativity, and uh, if you give speeches every week, if you write songs, if you're writing a book, if you're um, communicate on behalf of your company, whatever, I'm just basically telling you what I've learned about how to communicate. That event is almost, um, it's only got a couple tickets left and it's sold out. Um, the other two still have a few more spots, but uh, in case you're thinking about that first one, you have a couple days, it looks like, before it sells out. Anyway, um, would love, love, love to see you there. So there's a few things that are going on. And um, now, let's get into it. Politics and Guns, Part 6. And I've called this We Can Do This because we can. Um, we have had so many shootings. Uh, we don't have to live like this. Things can change. And at the root of everything I do, every book, every podcast, every uh, live event, I always ask myself, what is the good news here? What is the good news that I want to share with people. Um, and the good news about guns and politics is we can do this. And um, we can change things. We don't have to have this many shootings. Other countries don't have this many shootings. We can change it. So first, uh, a few numbers uh, to get started. Um, let me, so let me just give you some stats just to give you an overall idea um, uh, of some of the things that were that we have and some of the things that we're facing. Um, first, in 2010, about 32% of households in America have guns. So when you think about gun ownership in America, that's about a third of households. Um, there are five times more licensed gun dealers in America than there are McDonald's restaurants. There are five times more licensed gun dealers in America than there are McDonald's restaurants. That doesn't include unlicensed, of which... Um, some estimates say that that number is through the roof, like crazy. Uh, I found this interesting. 10% of women own guns. 32% um, of Americans are white men. And 61% of gun owners are white men. 
So 32% of Americans are white males, 61% of the people who own guns in America are white males. Uh, less people, and this is what's really interesting, if you look at the trends over the past few years, less people in America are actually owning guns. So gun ownership uh, in terms of overall population is going down, but the people who do own guns are owning more guns. So over the past few years, if you look at the trends, less people in America are owning guns, but the people who are owning guns are owning more guns. So uh, roughly 65% of guns in America are owned by 20% of gun owners. So 65% of the guns are owned by 20% of uh, the owners. Now, to give you an idea of the unlicensed there's a whole world of, of unlicensed where you can just get a gun anytime. The New York Times did one um, investigative report, and they found 170,000 guns for sale online where you can just buy a gun and get it. Um, we have about 31,000 gun deaths a year. By the way, those of you listening from around the world are like, man, that's messed up. Yes, it is. Um, thank you for reaffirming the fact that that's messed up. Um, we have about 31,000 gun deaths a year. We have about 80,000 gun-related injuries a year, and we have about 500,000 crimes involving guns. So in America, we have a gun crime happening once a minute. Uh, and then what's really interesting, they've done all this research on who and how old are the owners of these guns who commit these crimes. The most common age to commit a gun crime is 19. Second most common age is 20. Third most common age is 18 years of age. And what they've also discovered is that most of the guns that these gun crimes are committed by, 19, 20, 18 year olds, the gun had already changed hands. So whoever bought the gun wasn't committing the crime. They had gotten the person who committed the crime, the gun from somebody else. It had already changed hands. Uh, we have about 10 gun deaths per 100,000 people. Now, to give you an idea of the scope, Japan has stricter gun laws. So we have 10 gun deaths per 100,000 people. Japan has stricter gun laws, and they have 0.07 gun deaths per 100,000 people. Switzerland has looser gun laws, and they have 3.84 gun deaths per 100,000 people. So you can see there's sort of a spectrum from the strictest to the loosest gun laws is about 0.07 to 3.84. And then you have America, which is at 10. Um, and then there's a number of estimates. And, and if, you, if you look widely across everybody who's done the research on this, there is no consensus on how many guns in America. Somewhere the estimates fall between 270 million guns and 310 million guns, which means you're at somewhere between 88 guns per 100 people, all the way up to 112 guns per 100 people. Um, so roughly, the U.S. has half of the guns in the world. Uh, this is not normal. This is not normal. Uh, this has not happened in other places. Um, and what's really disturbing is when people behave as if this is normal. This is not normal. Uh, we do not need to have this many shootings. We do not need to have this many crimes. We do not need to have this many injuries. We do not need to have this many guns. 
Now, a few things that are true. Vox.com, V-O-X.com has some excellent data on this, but basically more guns mean more deaths. This is very straightforward. Um, and when you look across the board at the research and data, the general agreement, um, and you can find lots of very, very comprehensive data on this. I'll give you some sites in a minute. Um, more guns means more death. So the sort of counter argument, no, it's not about the gut. It's not about how many, it's about how they're used. Obviously, um, the person holding the gun is, yes, a major player in the whole thing. But if you have more guns, you have more gun deaths. Very straightforward. Now, some stats on legislation, because when we talked about uh, earlier, when I talked about politics in this series and policy, and hopefully by now you're thinking like, okay, let's talk about policy. Let's use the least sexy word ever, because that's oftentimes where you have to go to figure out what's really at stake here. The Pew Research Center, and Pew Research Center is sort of legendary for their um, research they've done. They've done extensive research on guns and gun legislation and gun control. Here is the thing that's really interesting. 85% of Americans favor expanded background checks. 85%. That includes Democrats and Republicans. That includes gun owners and non-gun owners. Everybody, pretty much, it favors extended background checks, which means it makes it a bit harder to get a gun. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware of this. You can go to a gun show and buy an assault rifle with no background check. Did you know this? In America, there are gun shows where you and I could walk in off the street put some money down on the table and walk out with an assault rifle. Um, now, 79% of people believe that people with mental illness should be prevented from purchasing guns. 79% of Americans believe that people with mental illness should be prevented from purchasing guns. 70% of Americans, according to the Pew Research data, back the creation of a federal database to track all gun sales. 70. This includes people who own guns and people who don't, Democrats, Republicans, old, young. 70% um, of people believe there should be like a database so that you could track gun sales, so you could cut down on the ability just to walk into a gun show and just grab a gun and be out of there. 57% of people support a ban on assault-style weapons which essentially means you shouldn't be able to buy a gun that's made to kill people. And then there's interesting discussion about bullets. Some bullets are made basically to shred a human being. And uh, part of the support of a ban on assault-style weapons would say we shouldn't be able to buy guns that are specifically designed to kill lots of people. Um, and the majority of people favor this sort of thing. So when you look at actual public sentiment, feeling, conviction, belief, people are like, we, there are a couple of really basic things. Um, federal database, ban on assault vessels, uh, stricter expanded background checks. Yes, yes, yes. Now, when you dive in a bit further, what you discover is that there are two major strands of thought, two major streams that seem to just keep butting heads. The one is we should control gun ownership more. We should regulate the ownership of guns more. We are too lax. It's too easy to get too many guns that are guns that are way, way too high powered. 
So you have the impulse to control gun ownership or to regulate gun ownership, expanded background checks, etc. And then you have the other impulse, which is, no, it's more important to contact, protect gun rights. Um, it's more important, it's less important to control gun ownership, and it's more important to protect the rights of people to own guns. And so you can see Democrats veer towards gun control. Statistically, Republicans veer the other direction broadly, generally. And you can see how these two impulses, we talked about what's the truth behind the truth, the issue behind the issue, the policy behind the policy. What happens is these two impulses sort of butt heads. Now, here's why I tell you that. And this is the stat that to me, this is the one that turns the whole thing. What they have discovered in surveying is that 82% of those people who say that protecting gun rights is more important than controlling gun ownership, 82% of those people who when given, which is more important, the right of people to own guns or controlling guns so you have less shooting, 82% of the people say, oh, it's more important to defend and protect the rights of people who can own guns. 82% of those people favor expanded background checks on private gun sales. 82%. So even our brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors and people who are most like, no, it's the most important thing is to protect the right of people to own guns are like, yes, we need more expanded background checks on private gun sales. And here's why I say that. We have a common good here and a common agreement on how to move towards a common good. We need new legislation. It's that simple. And we have massive agreement across political parties, across gun owners, non-gun owners, people who lean towards protecting gun rights versus gun control ownership, we all together are like, we need more expanded checks. We need to make it so that people who have mental illness can't get guns. We need to have a ban on assault rifles. We need to have a federal database. We're all together on this. So what's the problem? Well, what you see when you dive in another layer deeper is there seem to be three categories. Uh, some people have guns for protection. By the way, one of my closest friends keeps a gun in his glove compartment. Um, I remember the day, like, I reached in his glove compartment with someone was like, hey, you have a gun. He's like, yeah, I grew up in Texas. Of course I have a gun. And some people have a gun for protection. Some, and what's interesting is that those, many of those people believe that guns sales should be high, more expanded gun checks. Second are folks who have guns because of hunting. And they have a long tradition with family members, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, uh, that guns are connected with hunting, connected with food, connected with family, connected with holidays, connected with being outside. And what's interesting if you look at the data is those folks are all like, yes, of course, they're not, of course we should have more expanded gun check, background checks. So there's the folks who have them for protection, the folks that have them for hunting. We can make change while fully respecting those traditions and rights. But what's interesting is there's a third group uh, who have guns because they believe that there is a government 
tyranny coming in which the government's going to take all of our guns and take all of our rights and turn us into some sort of fascist state. Uh, if you look at the legislation and why there has not been significant gun legislation with mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting, as there's a small group of gun owners who see any new legislation, any new rules as a step toward the government taking away their guns. And so they block it and they give crazy amount of money to block it and they threaten and they organize and they do everything they possibly can to stop any new policies, laws, or legislation, even when it's clearly, undeniably the will of the mass of people who live in the United States of America. So a couple of things we need to say that are very, very straightforward, but we need to say them. First off, President Obama doesn't want your guns. He doesn't want your guns. He's not coming for your guns. The government has enough guns. Please listen to episode, I believe it was four. The government has enough guns. They don't need more guns. And they also have tanks and fighter planes and aircraft carriers and assault rifles. President Obama doesn't want your guns. If you've ever seen a presidential motorcade, if you've ever seen snipers on the roof of the White House, if you've ever seen Air Force One surrounded by soldiers, President Obama doesn't need more guns. He doesn't want your guns. Now, the moment you start talking about more expanded background checks, federal database, some people immediately default to the Second Amendment and essentially say, well, we have the right to bear arms. Yes, you do. That's true. Nobody is arguing about that. But a right can also be regulated. So if you and I are having a discussion, and every time I talk about our common good, you simply say, yeah, but, and you quote an amendment, that's not helpful. That's not helpful. We need to move past every single time this comes up. Somebody says, yeah, well, we have the right to bear right to bear arms. Yes, of course we do. Nobody is discussing that. What we are discussing is our common shared life together and how this particular right has become a problem and we need to regulate it a bit more. And most of the people who own guns totally agree we need to regulate it more. And then, so you can see how this small minority of gun owners are highly organized they are highly vocal, and they spend lots and lots of money, and they have a number of politicians who do what they want, and they're, the, they're in the way. So here's an example, something that is not helpful. It is not helpful when there's a mass shooting, and the next day a politician goes to a gun range and brings a bunch of press with him and fires a gun off, just to let his followers know that no matter how many innocent civilians die in a mass shooting, he is going to never, ever allow there to be any new legislation. And Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, I'm talking about you. You're not helping. And in the face of another round of innocent humans being killed with guns, it is not helpful to fire a gun to remind your constituency that whatever happens, there will be no change in legislation. Not 
helpful. You're in the way. We need to change this. This is not normal. Um, if you want to see more of these stats, Pew Research Gun Legislation, just Google that and you'll get to a number of their stuff. Uh, that's Pew Research. And then just type in gun legislation. Um, you'll find all sorts of fascinating data and background. Thewire.com has done some great work on this. Um, if you're thinking, well, how do you change it? How do you speak up? There's some amazing organizations, smartgunlaws.org. How great is that name? Smartgunlaws.org. Um, there's a group called Sandy Hook Promise, started by parents of kids who were um, at the Sandy Hook School when there was the horrible, horrible killing. Um, and then there's a group called Third Way that have done some great work on this. And uh, there's a man named Matt Bennett who wrote an essay called The Promise. Um, if you Google the Brookings essay, Matt Bennett, he wrote an absolutely stunning piece on the Sandy Hook deaths and what came out of that. Um, amazing. It's a group called Americans for Responsible Solutions. Very straightforward. Love that name. And then there's a coalition to stop gun violence, csgv.org. These are all fantastic organizations doing work in this very area. Now, I'm going to finish this series by talking about the spirituality of politics and guns. Um, and here's what I mean by spiritual. There were a group of Sandy Hook families whose children and the friends of their children were killed in the Sandy Hook shootings. They went to Hartford, the capital of Connecticut, to do some speaking and activism in order to work for some stricter gun laws. They were there to give a speech about the need for this legislation that all of us agree needs to happen. They were heckled by people. These are, these are the parents who have just lost elementary student students to a gunman. And they were there to help pass, raise awareness and pass legislation so that this wouldn't happen again. There were people who came to hear them speak and heckled them, yelling, Second Amendment, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. That uh, is so, if you're like me, you just like, it's so disturbing at such a soul level. Um, a number of people started a conspiracy theory against these Sandy Hook families, saying that they faked their children's death in order, as part of a larger hoax, to help Obama get people's guns. Started YouTube channels, started spreading on social media, um, all sorts of misinformation, obviously, saying these families have faked their children's deaths because it's all part of a hoax and a conspiracy by President Obama to help take people's guns away from them. Now, I assume right now you're about ready to throw up in your mouth. Here's why I point this out. There is a spirit at work here. It is a spirit of fear and paranoia. It is a spiritual matter. This is not rational. This is not logical. This is not human. This is not kind, compassionate. This is not grounded in reality. 
This is an irrational spirit of fear and paranoia at work. When you go to a rally to yell Second Amendment at the people whose kids were just killed by a gunman who are saying there's some very basic legislation that might help cut down on this sort of thing. This is a spiritual matter, and we have to talk about it. We have a problem. We have a crisis. We are hurting as a people because our foundations are in violence. We have stockpiled weapons. We have allowed a small group to dictate legislation and to block the will of our common life together. And because of it, we are in pain. And if you're like me, you're just waiting for whatever it will be, five days, 10 days, when there's another shooting and the president have to say, has to say another speech where he says, did this happen again here? We are in pain. And we are in pain because of a spirit of fear and paranoia that has run unchecked. And the way that you change that is you speak up and we raise awareness and we talk about what everybody is already talking about it and we bring hope. Now, obviously, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor from way back. So the good news is the business I'm in. And you look for what is the good news. And the good news is we can change this. Now, one way to think about policy anytime you are looking at an issue that can be fairly sticky is just to ask, if everybody voted on this particular issue, would it change? And what's really interesting, based on the data and legislation, what we know about the statistics is that if all Americans voted on federal database, more expanded gun checks, ban on assault rifles, prevention of people with mental illness from obtaining firearms, if all of us voted, then the law would change. So whenever more people voting would change how it currently is, then the question you have to ask is, who wants it to remain the way that it is? Someone somewhere doesn't want everyone to get involved. It benefits them and their position and their cause if less people are involved because then it can stay the way it is. So the issue is, first off, and obviously my job um, and many others, is to raise consciousness and awareness, um, is to speak up, is to say, oh, by the way, everybody we're all together on this. Um, there are a few who are in the way, but it's okay because we can change it. We can let everybody know. The will of the people is clear. We don't want to organize ourselves like this anymore. By the way, um, if you're in a spiritual community, your pastor should talk about this. Your pastor should talk about killing. Your pastor should talk about death. Your pastor should talk about weapons. This is all throughout the scriptures. Um, as you saw in uh, episode five, like the scriptures again and again talk about the stockpiling of weapons. Again and again talk about the use of power in military for good and for tremendous evil and the calling into account how we use power, wealth, and influence. Um, so first off, if you're part of a spiritual community, Ask your pastor. Uh, I assume your pastor does talk about this. If they don't, ask them why they don't. If, if, if your pastor says, well, I can't talk about that, why? <laughs> why? why? 
people being killed? You can't talk about a way to change things so less people get killed? What? Or if a pastor says it's not their job, but we affirm life, right? And Jesus did say he came to bring us life. So if people are dying, we should be able to talk about that, right? Uh, if they tell you this issue is not a heart issue, um, really? Because I think fear and paranoia are heart issues. They're spiritual matters. Something's wrong. Something's blocking the thriving of our communal life together. Or if somebody simply tells you, well, this is just how things are. If somebody tells you there's nothing we can do, this is just how things are, they in that moment are speaking despair. And we don't do despair. We aren't in that business. We're in the good news business. If somebody says to you, well, come on, it's not like anything can change. They in that moment are speaking despair, and we don't do despair. We do hope. We do change. We do transformation. We do life. We do a better future together. We do policies that help people thrive. We do our communal life together. And the truth is, and the reason why I'm in the work I'm doing and not in politics as you think of politics is simply because it starts with the raising of awareness. It starts with the heightening of consciousness. It starts with all of us waking up and going, wait, wait. And eventually, once you've woken up, eventually voting and activism, all that flows out of that initial thing that happens in your heart when you realize, oh, this is not right. And we can do something about this. It's that good news impulse when things change. So you can email your state representative, you can call your congressman, you can send emails, you can go to the sites that I mentioned, and they have all sorts of interesting ways to get involved. You can make a lot, a lot of noise. Um, but it all begins when we wake up together and we say, this is not normal. We don't do despair, my brothers and sisters and my friends. We do hope and change and transformation and life together and a better future. Now, uh, one story to wrap up this series. And you never really wrap it up, right? One more story to sort of kind of end this series, but, you know, we'll pick it up back later, I'm assuming. Uh, in 1996, in a town called Port Arthur in the southern part of Australia, there was a mass shooting, um, and uh, lots of people died. And uh, you can read all about the Port Arthur shooting. It's... Uh, it, Oh, it's, it's chilling to read about. But what happened in Australia is they had this mass shooting in 1996, and people were so devastated and so shocked and so bereft that this kind of thing could happen that they changed their gun laws. And they haven't had a mass shooting since. Literally, they were just like, no way. This is not normal. This can't happen. Uh, and so they changed their gun laws. And they haven't had something like that happen since then. So things can change. You can confront a spirit of paranoia and fear with truth and love, and grace, and power. Uh, obviously, there will always be people who are mean and nasty and deranged and delusional and mentally ill and 
in uh, in a really, really bad, evil, violent place. Um, but we can take the obvious steps together. There are times when you just say, enough, this is not normal, let's change it. It's time to confront this spirit of paranoia and fear and to confront it with truth and love and grace and power and resolve and courage and spinal fortitude and prayer and policy, new policies, better policies, because we are all in this together. We have a shared common life together. And when spirits wake up, when our hearts are open, when we see what we didn't see before, when consciousness is raised, that's how it begins and it moves itself into actual flesh and blood policies that make the world a better place. We want to do this. We must do this. We have to do this. We can do this. And that my brothers and sisters, is good news. Grace and peace, my friends.